focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio are usual Wednesday reporters in Handan and Lee Jiang. Guys, welcome back. Good, Good evening. evening. Good evening to you guys. Let's start things off with the U.S.-led Summit for Democracy, which has kicked off. Uh, this with top U.S. officials, uh, including U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, taking part in this pre-summit event. Tan. Uh, First and foremost, what was the focus of the discussions there? Well, talk centered on pressing global issues with a particular focus on the war in Ukraine and fight against financial corruption. The pre-summit sessions were hosted by top U.S. officials, including Blinken and Yellen. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was initially set to take part virtually, but he could not attend due to an urgent visit to a battlefield. Secretary of State Antony Blinken reaffirmed Affirmed that the U.S. supports Ukraine's peace framework, which demands the withdrawal of all Russian forces from Ukrainian territory and opposes alternate proposals that would advantage Russia. Although not directly mentioned, his remarks apparently were aimed at China, which called for a ceasefire, but without offering to help Russia withdraw its forces after its summit with Russia. That's right. Blinken had long argued, telling the U.N. Security Council as well, that it should not be fooled by calls for a temporary or unconditional ceasefire in Ukraine and should not fall into the false equivalency of calling on both sides to stop fighting. He added Russia will use any pause in fighting to consolidate control of territory and replenish its forces. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, meanwhile, affirmed America's commitment to enhancing corporate transparency, along with more than 20 other countries participating in this week's Summit for Democracy. She said the U.S. is making the push to combat illicit finance, in part as a response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine as the U.S. tries to more easily identify wealthy Russians who are accused of hiding stolen money and assets in the United States and around the world. Yeah, again, so these were events tied to the main Summit for Democracy, which be held today and tomorrow uh, over in Washington. But uh, do tell us what we can expect over the next two days. Right. This year's summit will be co-hosted by the governments of South Korea, the U.S., Costa Rica, the Netherlands, and Zambia. The first day of the summit will be a virtual format and will be followed by hybrid gatherings in each of the host countries with uh, representatives from government, civil society, and the private sector participating. President Yoon Song-yeol is set to host a leader-level discussion on economic growth and shared prosperity. The top office has previously said it'll be an opportunity to demonstrate domestically and globally how President Yoon is concretely implementing his vision of freedom and solidarity, uh, thereby enhancing Korea's political credibility. President Yoon is expected to share the know-hows of Korea overcoming war and poverty and emphasize the country will continue to strive to make further contributions to the international community. Korea will also host an Indo-Pacific regional session under the theme of challenges and progress in addressing corruption. The event will bring together leaders and ministers in the Indo-Pacific region and discuss their proposals.
proposals and commitments for promoting democracy and addressing corruption as well. Uh, the U.S. has extended invitations to 120 global leaders for this year's summit, including representatives from eight countries that weren't invited to the inaugural summit in 2021. Those countries include Bosnia, Honduras, and Tanzania. Again, even the title of this summit is Summit for Democracy, right? And uh, say what you will, it does, again, seem like it is uh, the U.S.'s, you can see their endeavors in trying to uh, get all the countries together and isolate uh, China as much as possible, of course, but this time around, uh, you have uh, also Russia being one of those uh, countries that's being isolated by these countries here. But it is interesting as the two-day summit does go on, we will continue to give you guys all the details on the results of this summit over in Washington. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the Boal Forum for Asia. This is also known as the Asian Davos Forum. Uh, this kicked off on Wednesday. You had the high-ranking officials and leaders in business and academia in Asia. Uh, this including South Korea, of course, and other continents coming together in the coastal town in China's island province of Hainan uh, to share their vision on the most pressing issues around the world. Uh, Chiang, let's get more on this. Sure. Now, but I hope you don't mind if I just touch on some of the breaking news that sure, just sure. came in. Um, actually, uh, this afternoon, National Security Advisor Kim Sung An, who was embroiled in replacement rumors for the past couple of days, um, has finally resigned abruptly this Wednesday afternoon. Now, this is one of the string of high-ranking officials who were replaced recently, um, and observers say that Kim's resignation may be related to rumors that there were some conflicts within the presidential office uh, for before President Yoon's upcoming visit to the United States. So we don't know the facts, but what we know so far is that Kim has finally resigned. Yeah, uh, which is... I think for a lot of people, it was kind of shocking because uh, he was kind of known as one of the closest aides of mm -hmm. uh, President Yoon uh, Yoon right? Right. So even those who are, because we always talked about like those who are close, even when we're talking about the PPP leadership, uh, right. we knew the reason why Kim Gi-hun was going to win the PPP leadership is because he is known as uh, his allegiance to President Yoon Sagir and is mm -hmm. uh, being a close aide of uh, Yoon Sagir. And, uh, you know, Kim was also one of those people, right. uh, which is why it was very shocking to see this. But nevertheless, let's do talk about this forum. Uh, sure. Now, uh, just going back to the Boao Forum, mm. now the official opening ceremony um, hasn't actually took place, um, but what did take place today was um, a few side meetings and a few side forums, uh, but the official uh, opening ceremony will take place tomorrow on March 30th. Now, the four-day event is held annually, um, and this year it's the first to be held completely offline since the outbreak of COVID-19. Now, over 2,000 delegates from more than 50 countries attended the forum, which is themed An Uncertain World, Solidarity and Cooperation for Development Amid Challenges. And the uh, forum will focus on four major topics, uh, development inclusiveness, efficiency and security, uh, regional and global, and the present and the future. 
Now, several high-profile attendees, including heads of states and officials at the level of heads of states, are participating in the forum, including Singapore's Prime Minister uh, Lee Sen uh, Lung, uh, Prime, Malaysia's Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim, and Spain's Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez. And to name some of the participants from South Korea, former UN Secretary General Pang Gi Moon and SK Group Chairman Che Tae Won and Jeju uh, Province uh, Governor Oh Young Hoon uh, are some of the people that are attending the event. Uh, and um, they will touch on various topics such as climate change, global economic outlook, and also intellectual property. Now, former UN Secretary General Pang Gi Moon presented a keynote speech on Tuesday and actually called on China to use its influence to urge North Korea to refrain from missile provocations. And he emphasized that China's success in persuading North Korea would help maintain world peace and reduce tensions between the U.S. and China. Um, although Bao Boao Forum is formally organized by the Boao Forum for Asia Secretariat, which is a non-governmental organization, it is actually utilized and funded by the Chinese government. Um, and experts say that China is expected to emphasize its confidence in achieving its economic target growth around 5% this year and its commitment to openness to the outside world during this forum. Um, also, the experts say that China will focus on putting out a strong message for countries to not participate in the decoupling led by the United States in key industries such as the advanced semiconductor industry. Right. So one of the criticism that China has always been uh, aimed at uh, the U.S. is, oh, they're going, you know, U.S. is being very hypocritical. They continue to talk about this solidarity, mm -hmm. but yet it's the U.S. that's kind of breaking up, making its own teams and saying, listen, don't play with, it's kind of like, don't play with China. Don't play with Russia. Mm -hmm. Don't play with who uh, the people that are, uh, don't maybe share with the values or, or, or in rival with the United States are considered uh, enemies. Mm -hmm. And uh, China has long said, you know, U.S. is very hypocritical. They continue to talk about solidarity. And so they're going to keep continue to push forward. And um some people might say that the consensus, especially because of the, the global financial crisis and things like that, it is time for all the countries to sort of like put their differences aside and come together and work together. Mm. Uh, because as we know, we are all interconnected together. But the U.S. is breaking that up is the message uh, that China uh, is always uh, delivering here. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, China appointing a new ambassador to North Korea uh, became the first Chinese ambassador to enter Pyongyang in three years, as you know, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, Pyongyang just completely closed off uh, everything, including their embassies. Uh, Town, let's get more on this. Well, before we get to this story, if you mm -hmm. don't mind, we also have a breaking news uh, regarding breaking the summit news. for democracy. <laughs> um, President Yoon Seung-yeol will be hosting the third, the next round of summit for democracy expected to take place as uh, uh, early next year. President Yoon and President U.S. President Joe Biden just released a joint statement uh, making the announcement uh, saying that the South Korea and the U.S. share similar uh, similar values in democracy as well as human rights, and the two allies will continue to boost political, economic, and security ties. So it looks like President uh, will, will be hosting a major big event next year. 
Boy, it's gonna get busy here. <laughs> Arirang is gonna get very busy. It'll because get very hectic. Yeah, as you know, anytime there's these like big uh, summits happening, it's uh, it's pretty hectic there. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we're talking about uh, the new ambassador right. to North Korea, right? Right. Back to the story. Mm-hmm. Beijing's foreign ministry confirmed today that China's new ambassador to North Korea, Wang Yajun, crossed the border into the reclusive state to formally assume his post. The ministry said Wang has been positioned to play a key role in a new historical period in friendly ties between China and North Korea. Wang has held senior roles in Beijing, including director general and vice minister level positions at the foreign ministry uh, and a Chinese Communist Party. He was appointed in 2021 to replace Ambassador Li Jinjun, who held the post for some seven years. This reportedly marks the first time the North is known to have opened its borders to inbound travelers since the beginning of the pandemic. Wang is the first known diplomat to enter North Korea since March 2020, when Pyongyang enacted stiff border pandemic controls. Uh, But it's unclear whether Wang's arrival will herald broader changes in North Korea's anti-epidemic policies. Uh, Not only foreign travelers, but also North Korean officials, laborers and other nationals have been unable to enter the country for three years. We're going to move on here. One of the uh, biggest issues, uh, societal issues here in South Korea is the low birth rate. We've been talking about this on a a number of occasions here. We are amongst the lowest amongst the OECD countries, uh, far under one. Uh, is the reproductive rate at this time. Uh, The current UN administration has been introducing a large number of different kind of plans here and there, Um, many of which have been met with some skepticism, but nevertheless, they are continuing to introduce these plans to tackle, again, the world's lowest fertility rate crisis uh, by promoting balance between work and child care, not to mention increasing financial aid to alleviate the cost of raising children. Let's get the details on the government's new strategy this time. Sure. Now, an initial measure for low birth rates, um, as an initial measure for low birth rates, the government's uh, uh, low birth committee announced plans to triple the number of households using child care services at home from last year. Um, And actually, last year was 78,000 households. So that's a huge number. Uh, also, child care allowances will be gradually increased and additional support will be provided for full day infant care allowances. So that's quite revolutionary for working mothers and uh, fathers. Now, private caregiver training system will also be introduced as a national system and a service agency registration system will be implemented to activate these child uh, these private care services and national National and public child care service uh, centers will be expanded by 500 per year and incentives and allowances will be provided to encourage creating classes or services for babies and infants to attend. Uh, Now, the majority of companies in South Korea actually do have parental leave and child care leave. But to be honest, when it comes to actually using uh, it fully, 
People hesitate to use it the entire amount. And even a lot of men don't even use paternity leave because uh, they're scared that uh, it would hinder their career. So that's why the government is going to focus on creating a work environment uh, that encourages couples to use parental leave. Uh, For example, the government will conduct regular surveys and create dedicated reporting centers and also incentives for male child care leave participants. Um, to uh, be uh, increased in the workforce. Uh, The government also aims to create a work child care balance by expending reduced working hours during child care and reviewing legal grounds for supporting work during child care. But some people's critics say that this is a a contrast or a conflict uh, against the 69-hour work week of uh, President Yoon Suk-yeol's administration. Um, Also, the government will increase the supply for sale and rental housing for young people in newlyweds as well. And also there's plans to ease income requirements for housing purchases to have the um, some people with uh, a little bit of uh, just a little bit more support who uh, do need that support, especially for newlyweds. The thing is, you know, with real with houses, right? Like you could mm-hmm. have a lot of these. I, I know there's a lot of these houses directly for the newlyweds, mm-hmm. right? And they're uh, about like I think like eighteen pyong to right. about. I don't think it goes higher than eighteen pyong. Some of the government subsidized uh, apartments mm-hmm. uh, for the newlyweds. But the problem is, is again one of the reasons for why they say they're having a hard time bringing a child into their life is because when they bring a child, they need to live in a bigger place, mm-hmm. right? And so they need to move to, you know, I, I guess like, you know, one child, uh, you know, 24 pyong is good enough. Uh, some people say you need 32. I think 24 is enough, to be honest with you. And then if there's like, uh, you know, two child, two children, then you need uh, even more. And so that's been kind of the criticism is like, sure, they're rolling out a lot of these houses, but no one is willing to move in to these houses because they know that eventually uh, they have to move to a bigger house and they can't mm-hmm. afford to live in a bigger house. And our uh, producer has very graciously uh, changed the, the 18 pyong equi- that's equal to 59 <laughs> square meters. And he even did the small two to show that it's a square uh, meter there. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. So kind. Yeah, Pyong is a uh, Pyong is one of those like it's unique to like South Korea, yeah. right? And so the uh, and so even with ho- housing is a big problem, and then you know daycares, right? Child there's not care. enough there's not enough uh, daycare centers to go around, and then you know the the big uh, the big thing is just like once you're pregnant, that's when you have to be waitlisted to mm-hmm. get into these uh, daycares. And so maybe expanding this facilities, the number of daycare centers and things like that, maybe that'll help out. But also. What's interesting is, I don't know if you guys noticed this as well, is there's a a lot of couples who want to have children, Mm -hmm. who want to have a child, Mm -hmm. but they just can't. And infertility is becoming a big problem nowadays. I don't know what it is. It is if it's something in the water or what it is, uh, stress. But the government is planning to roll out more support in healthcare when it comes to infertility. Let's also talk about this. Sure. Um, this is just great news for people who are in uh, in a little bit in the in of age. I would say <laughs> as yeah, of yeah. age. So uh, someone like myself. So this is uh, great news for me as well. And uh, the government plans to expand infertility 
fertility support by implementing a pre-pregnancy health management system at the national level. Uh, women's ultrasound and ovarian tests will be supported up to 100,000 Korean won, which is more or less than um, 100 uh, U.S. dollars. And men's semen analysis costs will be supported up to 50,000 Korean won, which is more or less of uh, 50,000. Uh, U.S. dollars. And also in consultation with local governments, the government will push for easing income criteria for infertility treatment support and extend infertility leave from three days to six days per year. Uh, They'll also consider providing financial support for assisted reproductive procedures for those who use frozen eggs for pregnancy and also um, childbirth purposes birth purposes. And for infants under the age of two, the government will eliminate the out-of-pocket rate for emergency treatment costs and provide medical expense support for premature infants, regardless of income level, to reduce the burden of infant medical expenses. Now, also during the population policy meeting, the government's plan to adjust the social systems for uh, to rapidly aging society were also laid out. This is the other social issue uh, that we've talked about in our program for quite a while here. Don, uh, let's get the details of that. Well, first of all, the government will launch discussions on adjusting the official age of a senior citizen, which is now 65 and older. Various talks have been taking place on the need to change the current age standards of the elderly as Korea walks towards a super-aged society. The government says it'll review the current standards and make necessary adjustments to social security and welfare systems, factoring in the changes in health and income levels of the elderly, as well as their needs for social participation. Housing support will also be boosted to accommodate the rapidly growing population of senior citizens. The government plans to expand supply of what's called a welfare housing for the elderly that's built uh, in barrier-free designs equipped with care services from the current 2,000 to more than 5,000 by 2027. The government will also seek ways to resolve resolve regional gaps in medical care service and medical infrastructure for the elderly. Uh, Extending retirement age and introducing what's called a continual employment system uh, is another main pillar of the government's plan to adjust social systems to an aging society. They plan to seek reorganization of the wage system to a performance-based one while seeking re-employment of retirees. A detailed roadmap on the so-called continual employment system will be announced within this year. Measures will also focus on absorbing the new generation of senior citizens who are the baby boomers. They're known to have strong needs to stay socially active, uh, with most of them having various job expertise uh, across various fields. And so the government plans to create more jobs for them in the social service uh, and the private sectors as well. The government will also seek to build an age-friendly industrial ecosystem by utilizing what's called age tech that includes usage of artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, care robots and assistive devices for the elderly. Yeah, the one of the things that I saw was like, uh, was it because uh, elderly loneliness is like a big problem, right? Uh, one of the, the key reasons for why uh, there's a, a high suicide rate amongst the elderly. And so they're basically using these uh, AI robots to continue to communicate them. Mm. And so if they find out that they're 
is like they're not communicating with the robot after a while they send in uh someone to go into the house to see if they're okay and things like that mm. but it's so contrasting what we're seeing like in france right france is like they want to retire yeah. now we don't want to work anymore, <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. let us rest whereas like here in south korea is like please let us work more which kind of also shows you kind of the flaw in the pension system right because they're saying right. with what they're going to receive for their pension is just not enough for them to survive right. uh, and so they want to work as long as possible uh, and uh, it's not so much that Koreans are workaholics but it's I think it's uh, it tells you what kind of pension system that we have and as we've talked about on the show before uh, the pension system is also depleting here in South Korea and they're trying to uh, increase the percentage I believe uh, moving on here despite investing an astronomical budget of 280 trillion won ladies and gentlemen that comes out to about 215 billion U.S. dollars uh, over the past 15 years. Uh, the total fertility rate last year recorded the lowest ever at 0.78. Now, uh, President Yoon Sagyar pointed out that we need to thoroughly re-evaluate the low birth policy based on scientific evidence to truly understand the reasons for its failure. Let's face it, there has been some plans put in place that seemed just out of touch uh, for according to some people. Chiang, let's Talk more about this. Sure. Now, the Presidential Committee on Low Birth and Aging Society held its first meeting this year, presided over at the Yongbingguan, actually, in Cheongwade um, on Tuesday, announcing the policy direction for low birth and aging society. Um, This meeting um, held for the first time in seven years with the president as the host was attended by private experts and government members including ministers of related uh, ministries. Now, in the meeting, uh, President Yoon emphasized that the government should provide citizens with the belief and trust that it is taking responsibility for our children's well-being. Now, he also stressed that the government should be taking bold measures and financial resources should be invested to ensure that people can be fulfilled without the burden of children raising children. Now, he also said that current policies must be reviewed and the private sector must participate in the process for this to succeed. Um, He also called for a thorough and comprehensive approach to support for caregiving and education for our children and also flexible work and parental leave and also housing stability, easing childcare costs and expanding support for infertile couples. Uh, He added that the society should change to foster happiness um, and just bring about a culture where hard work leads to a better life. Again, I mean, there's many different reasons. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, education, just the way that the Korean education is set up, it's it's a huge burden on the parents. And mm-hmm. so I've always said that if instead of putting money into these, uh, you know, uh, giving, what is it, financial assistance for like the first year of the child, like what was it a million one and stuff like that? It's, it's a short-term solution. You have to That's look right. into a long-term solution. And uh, I mean, I, you know, I said my two-piece on, what was it, uh, you know, three babies before the age of 30 and you get a military. Stuff like that isn't going to work because it's it's tough to even have three babies before the age of 30. And uh, you need to be more realistic. And I think the, if the biggest thing right now for parents is, uh, was it, uh, education? And, you know, Tana, I know you have a child who's in elementary school. I'm sure 
you know, burdens kicking in right now with all mm-hmm. the the academies that she has to attend and things like that. Her homework is taking away my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, if that's your problem, that's like the least of other people's problem, I think, right now. Because, yeah, I mean, the homework. I mean, that shows you how many academies that she has right. to go to, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, she has to take that time to help her with uh, homework and stuff like that. But. Uh, That's right, Jasmine Pang. It is very competitive for children in Korea with academy and all. So these are some of the stuff that I hope uh, the policies that they come up with here. Uh, Let's move on. South Korea's inflation expectation actually edged down to the 3% range this month. Uh, This dropped for the first time in three months. And this is amid falling global oil prices and hopes that prices will begin to fall in the latter half of this year. Don, let's get the latest figures. Right. Prices remain high, you know, with food food prices like processed foods and cost of dining out, soaring in particular on top of rising public utility fees. But latest data show that South Koreans are expecting inflation to slow in the months ahead. According to the Bank of Korea, citizens expected consumer prices to rise 3.9% for the year ahead, down 0.9%. One percentage point from the previous survey. The inflation expectations that measure how consumers believe inflation will look in the next 12 months stood at 3.8% in December and continue to rise in the first two months of this year uh, before falling this month, which marked the first time in three months. The central bank explained that while prices remain high, Oil prices have recently fallen and overall consumer price index growth has slowed amid news that inflation will further uh, fall further in the second half of the year due to a base effect. And this, it explains, has led to a modest decline in inflation expectations. Meanwhile, Korea's consumer sentiment improved this month to its highest level in nine months. The Composite Consumer Sentiment Index rose to 92 from 90.2 last month. Uh, It was the highest since June last year, but it is still below the 100 mark. Marks above 100 indicate that people are generally more confident in spending. An official at the Bank of Korea said that the index rose amid slowing price growth and hopes of a complete return to normalcy after the removal of indoor mask rules on public transportation. Okay, the other big question is what about interest rates? Uh, How do South Koreans project rates to move forward uh, from this point? Well, the interest rate outlook index rose seven points on month to 120 this month. If the index surpasses 100, it means more people expect rates to go up in the next six months. The index reached over 150 in November last year and continued to decline until last month before making a rebound this month. Uh, The BOK says figures fluctuated a lot in recent months following the U.S. Fed's remarks hinting further rate hikes uh, that was complicated by a banking turmoil triggered by the, the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. Moving on here, President Yoon said that we need to explore new methods for generating economic value by stimulating domestic demand during an emergency economic meeting this morning at the Yongsan presidential office. Uh, Chiang, do tell us on some of the things that were mentioned at this very meeting. Sure. Now, President Yoon um, highlighted uh, today that the current economic challenges, such as um, some of the external conditions that keep getting worse and worse, um, such as the global economic slowdown and also the Ukrainian war, 
As we're experiencing an economic crisis, President Yoon underlined the significance of securing people's livelihoods. And he explained that the key to overcome these uh, complex challenges is to keep our heads above the water in the global market and keep going. Um, he also mentioned his personal commitment as Korea's number one salesperson and his focus on economic the economic market, um, his focus on economic market development in all he would put his energy in, into this, including diplomacy. Now, at a time when the global economy is on a downfall and our numbers and exports are sluggish, we really need to focus on domestic consumption. And he pointed out that now is the time to boost our domestic consumption in the food and accommodation sectors, which were severely impacted by the pandemic. Um, that we should also uh, bring it down to the back to the pre-pandemic levels, thanks to the eased global quarantine measures and the improved Korea-Japan relations. Uh, he also called for collaboration between the central governments and local governments, as well as the private sectors to boost domestic demand. And he also urged for a true commitment from the meeting attendance. Moving on here, as part of uh, efforts to revamp Korea's domestic economy, Finance Chief Chu Kyung-ho says that the government will be injecting 60 billion won. That comes out to roughly around uh, 50 million U.S. dollars in order to spur the country's tourism sector. Tan, let's uh, talk more about this plan. Right. The government will pump 60 billion won in travel and holiday subsidies to boost tourism, which it believes is one of the most effective ways to boost domestic economy and spending. Uh, noting that private spending in the tourism and lodging industries has yet to return to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, the government plans to hand out near 50 million dollars in the form of supporting travel expenses. 30,000 won will be offered to 1 million people for lodging expenses and 100,000 won to each of 190,000 people as a vacation bonus. Large events, festivals and mega scale sales events will also be staged to boost spending. Discounts will be offered for online amusement park reservations and KTX tickets as well uh, that are packaged with local tourism programs uh, as well as uh, those at department stores and duty-free shops. Tax incentives will also be expanded for cultural expenses and spendings at traditional markets to help small business owners feel the benefits of the measures. The government aims to attract over 10 million foreign visitors this year by creating various tour programs and upgrading K-contents that can be enjoyed by foreign tourists. Government will also expand the number of flights entering Korea and temporarily exempt people from 22 visa waiver nations, including the U.S., Japan and Taiwan, from mandatory online travel permits and transit visa requirements. Uh, the number of foreign uh, visitors to Korea remains at 30% of pre-pandemic levels now, according to the government's latest data. Finally, finishing things off here, the government announcing a plan to deal with the COVID-19 as it, again, has slowly, quickly, or it's just however you feel it, uh, turning into an endemic here. The plan has three steps so that we can gradually go back to our normal life and uh, deal with this virus, as 
just being part of our daily lives, I guess. Uh, Chiang, let's get the details of this uh, three-step plan. Sure. On Wednesday, the COVID-19 Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures Headquarters announced a post-COVID-19 roadmap that will uh, take place in three steps. Now, the first step will be when the World Health Organization and the U.S. end their emergency statuses, which is likely for the WHO to end the emergency status around the end of April or May, and the U.S. uh, on around May 11th. Now, the second step will be when the central and local local governments in Korea's uh, medical infrastructure on COVID can be cut down and also at the same time not compromise the severe patient's health. Uh, and also the number. And the third step will be when COVID-19 becomes an endemic like the flu. Um, Now, it might not take long to go from step one to step two, but it will take a while to get to step three. Uh, Health officials said that it might be difficult to reach step three this year, but um, so it could happen next year. Now, in the first step, uh, some of the things will be easier, like uh, quarantining for five days instead of seven and stopping the operation of temporary screening centers. Um, But most safety and uh, medical measures will stay the same. Um, Ji Myung-mi, who's the chief of the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency, said that uh, an absolute uh, to to bring down all, take down all the COVID regulations will be around uh, July this year. Um, And also in the second step, uh, most safety measures will be removed and support for things like testing, hospital treatment and living expenses will also end. So all of that support is going Mm. to go away. Now in the third step, almost all safety and medical measures will be uh, gone. Uh, Vaccines will become part of the national mandatory vaccination system and there will uh, be no free support for uh, treatments like uh, Bicleri, Paxlovid, and uh, Legrevrio. Is mm-hmm. that now? Legrevrio. Yeah. However, the government plans to include these treatments in health insurance because they are quite expensive. Now, the government said that even if there are small bro- outbreaks in the next three years, they expect things to become more stable. But if there is a new variant that causes a bigger crisis, they might bring back some measures and raise the response level. Yeah, I thought I was going to get really emotional and stuff uh, when uh, COVID-19 settles down and stuff. But I think now I'm starting to realize that it's just going to be a part of our lives and Mm -hmm. like like cold and uh, flu and things like that. Mm. Nevertheless, guys, as always, thank you very much for your reports today. Stay safe and we'll see you guys again. Thank Thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.